All right, good morning, everyone. Uh, so I'm uh, Greg Kerala with AWS, and joining me is going to be Jesse uh, Gebhardt from AWS as well, who will be doing a demonstration for us. So welcome, everyone, to Las Vegas. Hope everyone's having uh, a, a great uh, week out here. Um, and today we're going to be talking about uh, deploying Amazon QuickSight uh, for enterprise. And in terms of you know, the best basics of QuickSight, of course, you know, it is our cloud-native business intelligence visualization tool set. It makes it super easy to visualize all of your data, not just in AWS, but any data source on-premise as well. And we'll kind of walk through some of these, these key features and how we can enable this. And you know, before we kind of dive into the specifics of QuickSight, you know, I think you'll find during this week there's a lot more sessions around the broader analytics platform that AWS provides, everything from storage and S3 to you know, a variety of ways to analyze structured and unstructured data, both from relational databases, non-relational, Apache Hadoop, data discovery, data warehousing, right? And you know, what really ties a lot of these components together is, of course, you know, analysts or business users that want to visualize the data. And there is a, a broad selection of choices that you have of both uh, AWS partners, uh, third-party independent software vendors, open source toolkits, right? But in many cases, you know, we've heard from customers that the idea of just having a, a, a BI service that follows this serverless model where you can simply provision a set of users and start exploring your data could be pretty useful for the right use cases. And throughout the week, if you have any questions about any of these other logos, we don't necessarily plan to go in deep on them, but you know, I think there's a lot of sessions on you know, data warehousing and data discovery throughout, throughout this week as well. Um, so in terms of QuickSight uh, itself, you know, it's this cloud-native business intelligence uh, visualization toolkits, as I mentioned, that allows business analysts or maybe the non-traditional AWS user to explore their data, right? So simple things like, you know, you don't have to have an AWS account to, to be able to, you know, visualize the data from an end-user perspective, and we'll kind of go through how that's set up. And, you know, QuickSight's been out for a little over a year. And we've been iterating quickly on a number of features. And so um, you know, if you haven't looked at QuickSight recently, um, you know, hopefully you know, you'll be able to get some information from this session to kind of help explore. But we have been making a lot of improvements into QuickSight. And we'll highlight many of these you know, throughout the session today. But some of the ones I just want to call out, you know, scheduled refresh of data sets, um, access to uh, data sets in private VPC, some, you know, even some basics in terms of connecting to Active Directory on-premise to be able to have that, that federated authentication for users, um, and a lot of other, you know, connectors in terms of data sources, both AWS and non-AWS, that we've provided. But if you think about it, this is just these 46, you know, major features released in the last year, and if anything, going into 2018, we plan to continue to accelerate, you know, the, the features and, and capabilities that, that QuickSight can, can develop, deliver. Um, and then in terms of, you know, QuickSight being out for relatively a, a year now, um, last couple of weeks we did what we called our anniversary launch, which is the saying in terms of some of the major features that customers have been asking us for uh, in the past year, we rolled up into a release uh, last couple of weeks and is now available uh, generally. And some of the things that, that we've heard is, you know, customers really love to visualize uh, mapping data in terms of geo, uh, geospatial data, right? And so uh, we had a session yesterday that kind of went in depth in terms of some of these advanced visualization techniques that will be available on, on YouTube here shortly as well. So we're not really going to go into depth, particularly on some of these new visualization types. But if you're curious, and you, know, you can definitely try it out as well. 
Um, but then like one of the, from enterprise perspective, one of the big things we now have available in preview is accessing your data source in a private VPC. Um, so if you haven't looked at QuickSight you know, recently, you know, this was one of the, the feedback we heard from customers was that if I have, let's say, a Redshift database in a private VPC, like we'd always recommend you to deploy, uh, QuickSight resided in a service VPC because it's a managed service that we deliver, and essentially you had to create a public endpoint, right? Which worked for a lot of customers, but some customers kind of said, well, it'd be great if we could just you know, have AWS figure out a way that I don't have that public endpoint to the database and connect to it through private VPC. And so that's now available in preview. And then, you know, for many of our customers in healthcare life sciences in the U.S., uh, knowing that, that uh, QuickSight conforms to HIPAA compliance. And so it can be part of your BAA that you have with AWS. And so this, you know, ability to have, you know, the controls around in terms of HIPAA compliance is now available in QuickSight in all of our regions as well. So let's talk about how, you know, the, the topic of today is really deploying QuickSight for the enterprise um, and some of the key, you know, components that actually go into setting up the deployment. And so we think about this, this workflow in terms of, you know, what we've heard from customers and kind of typically, you know, you need a way to be able to empower analytics for everyone, right? And there's a, definitely a capability perspective in terms of having, you know, a serverless architecture where I don't have to worry about installing, configuring instances or servers. You know, for BI, if I go from 10 users to 100 users to maybe 1,000 or more, you know, this should just be part of, you know, what... Uh, you know, the QuickSight service itself can deliver for empowering analytics across the enterprise. Um, and you want to make it easy to connect to data sources, right? And we'll go through some depth on this. And, you know, my, my personal background is I spent, you know, a number of years on Oracle BI team as well as at Business Objects. And, you know, one of the, the you know, struggles we always had was, you know, finding the JDBC or ODBC driver, can, connecting it, installing it as the right version. And so a lot of effort from IT in terms of just setting up the basics where, with QuickSight, right, for our supported data sources, that connectivity is just there. And we'll go through some details in terms of the, the, the richness of, of data sources that we currently support. Um, but then, you know, how, how quickly can we essentially empower the analyst to make decisions based upon the data, right? And we'll go through some examples of that in terms of how quickly we can enable the analysis. And so, again, you know, based on my background, it wasn't unusual for BI projects I was a part of to say, you know, business had a new question, and, you know, it might be a month, two months, three months until the BI team was able to, you know, go back in and add that calculation into the metadata layer and then make it, you know, available for the analyst to then report on, which in many cases at that point, you know, the questions have kind of moved on. So we want to reduce this time to insight for, you know, making all of our data of analysis available, you know, super quick for the end users. Um, and then from an infrastructure pricing cost perspective, you know, when we launched QuickSight, uh, we really wanted to think about, like, can we make the economics work for enabling, you know, mass consumption of analytics, right? And so it's everything from, you know, having the serverless architecture to having some uh, low-cost price points to be able to uh, test out QuickSight, no commitments to long-term software contracts. And we'll go through some details in pricing at the end. But this, you know, kind of uh, has really been guiding us in terms of the features we've developed and what we have planned in the future as well are these, you know, four kind of tenants in terms of things we've heard from our customers to really the needs for analytics and visualizations. So let's think about what a typical deployment might look like. Um, so the first question I have is, does anyone not have an AWS account in the audience today? Okay, so we're, gonna, we're not going to cover details how to set up an AWS account, so... 
even though the end user, the person who's doing the analysis, they don't need to have an AWS account, certainly you know, an administrator needs to go in and, and provision QuickSight to say, you know, set up the basics of it, right? Which is typically setting up the account, right? So we'll assume that that's, that piece, everyone at least knows how to have access to their AWS account or how to provision one. Um, but then we're gonna go through some, some steps in terms of provisioning users, connecting to data sources and providing governance around that, creating the content and then sharing and collaborating those, those, those components, right? So the first, you know, well, the first piece number was creating the account, which we're gonna assume that everyone, everyone has. But now, once the account and QuickSight is basically established, how do we actually go about provisioning users to start you know, taking advantage of the analysis? And so the, the first part is, is that you know, many times, you know, because the business user or the consumer of the analytics maybe doesn't have an AWS account or doesn't even, you know, potentially doesn't even know that, that the reports or data is in AWS itself, um, we need an easy way to simply integrate with things like Active Directory, right? So that whether the Active Directory is in AWS on EC2, whether it's on-premise, to simply have our user provisioning work seamlessly with QuickSight, right? So you can essentially have the AD connector. Um, and this way I can add groups, I can add users, and the passwords and authentication is now, you know, the password policies are all managed by Active Directory, but simply being able to easily federate that with QuickSight becomes an important requirement for, for many large organizations that we work with, right? So having that single repository being, being Active Directory becomes, you know, really, really critical. Um, and then the next one is, you know, enabling single sign-on, right? And so once we've sort of, you know, have these users or groups established and connections, well, what happens if I have a new user that comes in that I haven't actually provisioned into QuickSight itself? And so with SAML-based authorization, you know, you can simply, in your portal or through an email link, provide them access into QuickSight. Um, and then once they click on that and enter their information, username, password in, right, then they're provisioned in QuickSight, right? So there's no administrative overhead of, of adding users into QuickSight. You can simply connect it to Active Directory, have SAML-based authorization, and then once the user logs into QuickSight, then they're a user of QuickSight itself, right? And so this idea of, of you know, um, seamless integration to be able to easily manage and provision users with hopefully low administrative overhead and not having to worry about you know, with, of course, appropriate access controls and security, but simply allowing them to create their own profiles within QuickSight becomes increasingly uh, popular. And then, so once the users are, so I have my um, Active Directory, and if, or I have my, you know, SAML-based authorization set up. Um, of course, you know, if I wanted to, I could just use um, the native directory service within QuickSight. So, you know, having Active Directory is not a requirement, but many customers, particularly enterprise, will set that up. Um, so once the kind of the users are provisioned and I have, you know, the basics in terms of access control set up in terms of what they get to see, we now want to connect to data sources, right? And so when I connect to data sources, this is really where, you know, we, we put a lot of work to have a broad and rich support and we'll continue to add, you know, new data sources as we go forward such that, you know, we don't have to worry about the physical connection in terms of configuring the driver and those kind of things, right? Um, so whether the data source is in AWS, so Redshift becomes increasingly popular source for QuickSight, Athena, of course, Aurora and our relational database services, but then non-relational sources, right? So what if I just have a file on S3 that I just want to, you know, visualize, right? Or I have an end user that wants to upload an Excel workbook to S3 and then be able to visualize that, right? And so, um, you know, without using Athena, right, there's really, S3 doesn't accept SQL queries, right? 
but I can ingest that file directly into our spice layer, which is our in-memory database, which I'll touch on in a few slides, and then start visualizing it, right? And so I have a lot of customers I talk to that jump through a lot of hoops just to say I've got log files or I've got spreadsheets and I have to you know, visualize those. And so then, I, of course, I have to load those into a database and then be able to visualize it. But really, they just want to visualize the log data or the spreadsheet itself. And so knowing that QuickSight supports you know, ingesting this data directly into the Spice engine and being able to visualize it there can really you know, simplify many workflows, right? But then, you know, thinking about the richness of, of data sources beyond AWS. So, for instance, if I have a Teradata data warehouse, either on-premise or on AWS on EC2, I can connect to Teradata. And we'll continue to, you know, increase the platform support for a rich variety of data sources so that, you know, QuickSight is not meant just for the AWS data sources, but this large, rich partner ecosystem that will continue to expand. If there are particular data sets that you're interested, you know, please reach out to us afterwards and we can, you know, your input will definitely help prioritize, you know, the, the next set of connectors that we add into uh, QuickSlide itself. So once the, the physical connectivity is established, so let's, I'll just kind of use, in my example, I'll just use Redshift as the example, but you can, of course, you know, insert any of the uh, uh, databases that we showed on the slide. Well, then, you know, the, that consists of a username, a password connecting to the data source, and like any BI tool, of course, you know, QuickSight can issue SQL directly to Redshift, directly to Teradata, to Aurora, to all these different data sets. But, you know, sometimes from a, from a BI perspective, we oftentimes say, well, the end user wants super fast access, right? And again, you know, based on my experience and kind of in BI data warehousing, you know, I spent a lot of time, like, we have to, like, you know, tune the data warehouse, right? We have to build, you know, indexes or aggregate joint indexes and these kind of things to simply get that fast performance, right? And over time, I think a lot of uh, work has kind of, you know, been put into this idea, can there be a caching layer between the analyst and the data source such that their performance isn't proportional to the underlying data store, right? And then we thought about this from a strategy perspective and said, what if we just had a managed in-memory database, right? where you simply could say, I have a set of users or analysis that wants to take advantage of this in-memory caching and actually be able to physicalize it in there, whether I have 10 users, 100 users, um, whether it goes across availability zones, it gets backed up to S3, all these things that are really non-trivial from you know, your typical in-memory database perspective. If we just had that as a component of QuickSight, that again, the end user could get that super fast performance, right? And so leveraging the Spice engine, it's not required for QuickSight, but increasingly becomes popular to really provide that abstraction layer between the, the end user that's creating the reports, including the calculations, derived metrics that might not be in the database itself, but more importantly, the performance and speed so they can maintain that super fast access. Particularly interesting where the database resides on premise. So of course, you know, if we're issuing SQL from QuickSight to let's say Redshift, in the same you know, region or availability zone, we would expect you know, really fast performance, right? But now if I have, let's say, Teradata on-premise, right? And yes, I have things like Direct Connect or VPN where I can you know, provide some bandwidth between the two, but just the physics and speed of light will tell you that, that that's gonna take a little bit more time. And so particularly where it comes to on-premise data sources, you know, being able to cache the most frequently used data in the Spice Engine and then only going across the network for you know, other data sets can really provide that ease of use and kind of that transition between 
you know, the on-premise world and what's in, what's in AWS. And end goal, of course, being, you know, making that experience for the end user to be really seamless. And so knowing that, the, that, that Spice Engine is there and kind of its, it's you know, multi-availability zone architecture provides really assurance that you can provide this speed and, and agility for visualizations of, of the data. So here's just kind of a, a, a way to think about this. So, you know, I mentioned, you know, that QuickSight has, you know, SQL support, right? So any database that supports SQL, uh, we can just, you can just connect to it and, and start issuing SQL and getting the results set back, right? And here's just a way to think about how the splice layer can be leveraged is that, again, you know, there are some data sets, let's say, like connecting to Salesforce, where, you know, I really want to have that data in, in Spice Engine itself, right? Because there's really no such thing as querying data in Salesforce. And so, yes, you can take Salesforce data, put it into Redshift, but maybe it just makes sense to connect to Salesforce directly, import the data, and then you can start visualizing it. The same as I mentioned for you know, data on S3, right? So in cases where I just want to visualize the data, directly importing it. But then even for this idea of whether it's you know, many hundreds of users accessing a dashboard in the morning or just enabling these, these curated data sets where we've add derived calculations and doing that in the Spice Engine itself can provide a lot of value for that abstraction between the underlying database and the analysis, right? And you can make this choice between like which component should be direct query and which should be in Spice and whether that's a power user or even an end user or just an administrator is kind of up to you in terms of how the deployment uh, actually works out. And then you know, what we want to think about is increasing this idea of, you know, a data lake or modern data architecture or Serverless analytics, I mean, these are all, I think, you know, somewhat marketing terms that we can maybe, you know, interchange a bit. But the idea here is that uh, a view of this, like, overall analytics platform I presented earlier, but most customers, when they think about migrating, let's say, a data warehouse to AWS, their architecture ends up looking something very similar to this diagram, where increasingly we have a couple of core tenants, and one is, you know, separation of compute and storage. So not using you know, local HDFS, but using S3, right? And then it turns out that the file format on S3 becomes really critical. And this is where the rich ecosystem of Apache file formats like Parquet and ORC, but then even you know, JSON and Avro and you know, on down the list, even CSV, right? And so knowing that the, the open file format on S3 um, becomes you know, a, a key component. And then how does a tool like you know, Athena or Redshift Spectrum, how does it know that I've got a file in S3, but it's a table I can issue a SQL query against? Well, that's the role that the Glue data catalog provides, right? So if you know the Apache Hadoop ecosystem, this is where, you know, the Hive Metastore comes into play, right? And so the Glue catalog provides crawlers and classifiers that can actually inspect your data on S3 and then come back with its table definition. And you can actually use Hive DDL to, to define them if you wanted to as well. But knowing it has this open API in the front and I have these open data formats on S3, now it provides this richness in terms of being able to select if I have a use case for data discovery where I need to do schema on read type operations. You know, I need a super simple way to access that data on S3. I can just use Athena, right? If I have a use case for data warehousing where the schema is well known, the access patterns are better well known, and I want to extend my data warehouse to S3, I can use you know, Redshift and Redshift Spectrum, right? If I have a data science team that needs to use Spark and you know, run uh, programmatic Python code in a Spark container, that's really where we find uh, EMR to be a perfect use case. 
and you know, and inheriting separation in compute and storage, inheriting you know these open file formats on S3 that really allow this collaboration, right? And you know, I oftentimes say in these you know discussions to say, well, every you know database vendor will say, hey, just convert your data into my format and life will be good. And you know, yes, like Redshift does have a native format, but at the same time, if if we're able to access that open file format on S3, then it allows this collaboration, and we're not you know thinking about well. If, if this particular tool set doesn't meet all my needs, I'm kind of stuck, right? And kind of having this, this ecosystem of web services for data discovery, data warehousing, or data science becomes really a key value to, to what many customers deploy analytics on AWS. And then, of course, you know, they're mentioning, you know, QuickSight can really be the visualization layer. So QuickSight can support Athena and Redshift and Redshift Spectrum and Spark and Presto, um, all the components on, on EMR, right, to kind of provide that, that rich visualization. And because... On the QuickSight side, right, I'm not installing servers or configuring instances. It really provides that easy way to analyze and visualize the data. And then I mentioned uh, briefly in terms of one of the recent you know, um, enhancements we had in our uh, anniversary release a few weeks back is you know, connecting securely to data within VPC or on-premise data sets. And if you haven't you know, looked at QuickSight in a while, you're kind of wondering maybe why we've been emphasizing that in this talk. It's like, well... We didn't have this in the past, and it's been a, been a really big ask that customers have had. And so now, in preview, we were able to connect to your data sets in private VPC because, in reality, you know, every database you deploy within AWS, we always recommend have it in a private VPC, right? And if you have to create a public endpoint just for your BI tool to query it, you know, it's not the end of the world. It, it can be done securely. Many customers do it. But... You know, many times from an audit compliance perspective, it'd be better if we could just connect to the database in the private VPC. And so that's you know, a new feature we have now in QuickSight that we're happy to talk to you about enabling for your account that has really been, I think, uh, a, a large ask that, that we're happy to have a, a feature of QuickSight uh, available now. So we kind of talked about the creating the, the connectivity, the, the users, and you know, setting things up. But let's talk about how we actually create and share the content. And so we think about this idea, well, I have my physical connection. Again, I'll just use Redshift as an example. With the username password, we've provisioned users into the system, either through Active Directory or federated authentication. Well, then now either a power user or an administrator or you know, even an end user, right? you can kind of determine who has this role. But basically, you create the data set. And this means that you know, there's underlying complexity in the schema of the database, right? And maybe we want to you know, rename things. We want to create derived calculations. We want to make it presentable such that when the business analyst comes in that you know, this subject area or this information looks familiar to them, right? And so in my background, you know, from business objects and Oracle BI, you know, we may call this like the RPD file or the business objects universe. I mean, most BI tools kind of have this, this idea, but you know, having a simple way to, you know, uh, do this renaming, these derived calculations, and we kind of call that the data set, right? Which just means that it's this you know, curated way of looking at the database, right? Then once the database is available, or instead, sorry, once that data set's available, we then want to create reports, and we just call the reports analysis, right? And the analysis can be super simple. We have a lot of features to really, you know, um, rich visualization types, and we continue to increase the type of visualizations you can do. But then their the analyses can then be combined into dashboards, right? Um, and dashboards might be something that the executive team or analysts are looking for that summary of the business across multiple data sets even to be able to consume, right? And so knowing this basic terminology of the data sets, the analysis, the dashboards, of course I can share analysis or reports with, with end users, but oftentimes 
combining multiple into a dashboard and then sharing those out to, to users can be really powerful as well. And then having the, the data governance, right? So since we have control over you know, which fields, uh, which data sets they get access to, even if you give a set of users access to, let's say, Redshift, um, but yet you know, I have you know, sales in region A and sales in region B, and I want to provide that row level security, I can simply enable that row level security now in QuickSight as well, right? Um, so this is a relatively new feature in the last couple of months where um, you know, particularly around sharing these data sets, but still overlaying security such that you know, I can provide a single connection, a single data set, but then filter based upon the user profile what data sets they actually see can be you know, really, uh, uh, really powerful. And then in some cases, you know, maybe we want analysts to create their own calculations. In some cases, we don't. Um, and so you can you know, maintain control over you know, this idea of, hey, with a single definition of sales or a single definition of whatever that metric might be, and not allowing the business users to change those for the right, right use cases. And this is the idea of providing this self-service analytics, but yet having some control over the data governance part. And then knowing that you know, I can you know, share this not only across you know, web browsers and you know, Mac and Windows systems, but also you know, mobile devices, right? So having an iOS uh, a phone or, or tablet interface to be able to interact with the data uh, becomes really powerful as well. And then from an enterprise perspective, you know, knowing that you know, we have full support for CloudTrail, right, so that all the user and administrator actions are um, audited and provisioned, it really provides a great way to go back and say, hey, who are the users that looked at a particular data set or you know, what administrative actions were created? And knowing that you know, I have a full audit trail out in CloudTrail, which is really an enabler of our recent support for HIPAA compliance. And, and knowing that I can go back and audit these actions becomes really critical for having that audit controls in place as well. So one of the things we find about you know, BI tools, it's great to kind of hear me uh, talk about its features and capabilities, but they're meant to be visual <laughs> tools as well. So uh, for the next you know, 20 minutes or so, uh, Jesse is going to actually go through a demonstration and really kind of highlight and make this a little bit you know, clearer perhaps in terms of seeing it in action, how these, these features can work. Jesse, it's all yours. Portal. So I know in big organizations, it might be quite common to have like a centralized reporting portal. You might have many, many BI tools, you know, within your, your BI suite. And maybe you have a central portal where you kind of link off from there. Not necessary at all, um, but I know it's quite common out there. Uh, so for instance, here, I've got a link to a couple of common dashboards that I might want to share with my organization. So when I click this link here, I'll be signed into QuickSight automatically. So this is using the federated single sign-on. Uh, so I'm going to say assuming an IAM role at this point, either just a normal QuickSight user role or an admin role. Uh, you can configure this such that in that IAM role, if you give them uh, permissions such as QuickSight create user or create admin user, uh, then even a brand new user who's never accessed QuickSight before, uh, when they go click on that link, it'll actually auto-provision a new user for them right on the fly. So using what's called just-in-time provisioning. Uh, so that's great. You know, if you've got a growing organization or if you're putting this out to your customers and you've got new customers coming on board, right, you don't want to have to go and pre-create those customers in QuickSight uh, ahead of time. So using the just-in-time provisioning, it'll automatically create those users for you. 
So uh, on this dashboard, we've also have row-level security built into this. So, so I landed on this particular URL, and I'm able to see, uh, I'm allowed to get in this kind of like an admin account right now, and I see all three segments of the data. If I were to take this exact same URL and go log in with a different user, and I'm not going to use the single sign-on this time because uh, I want to mock log in as somebody else. And this time I'm going to log in as Bob. So the exact same dashboard, exact same URL, but we'll see that I actually see different data when I get to that same dashboard. So whether this is like an internal dashboard, maybe it's for sales reps and you just want to show them just their accounts or just their territory, uh, or it's an HR dashboard and you should only be able to see you and your direct reports and, and just, just their information. Or it's customer facing and you just want customer A to only see customer A's data, right? So this is just a single dashboard and depending who's logged in, they just see just the data that they're supposed to. So here I see just that one consumer segment versus when I was back as the admin, notice I had three different lines that I could see, right? Uh, so what we'll do now is let's actually go create one of these from scratch. So uh, we're going to start a new analysis. And when I start with a new analysis, I can either start with an existing data set. So think of these as like those curated, uh, predefined data sets. They could have row-level security built into them. So notice some of these have a little restricted sign on them, meaning people see different data when they use those. You could build calculations and business logic into these, right? All, all, all kind of joins, things like that. Uh, so I can start from that existing governed data set, or I'm going to start a new one here. So all the types of data sources we can connect to, you see on the top, you know, flat file uploads, cloud sources, all the AWS uh, relational databases and such. Uh, and as Greg mentioned, these can actually be in private VPCs now, uh, and as well as even on-premise data. Um, so if you're connecting to your on-premise or hosted versions of Postgres and SQL Server, uh, even if you're using Hadoop technologies or EMR, you can connect to them through Presto and Spark. Uh, I'm going to use Redshift as an example. So this Redshift uh, database is actually in a VPC. It can auto-discover that instance if I configure it to do so. So it found my demo cluster here. I'm just going to use my credentials to create this connection. So now I get the list of schemas in the database. I get my list of tables here so I can connect to one or multiple tables and join my tables together. So here I can do a little bit of data prep if I'd like to. Uh, first thing that you'll notice is some of my data fields actually got geocoded. So uh, in that release a couple of weeks ago, we added the geographic visualization type. So it's automatically recognized that some of these fields are either states or countries or cities, or you could even just give it raw lat long. Um, you, can, you can do things like change data types. Like you know, in a database, this would probably already be defined as a, as a date. In my demo here, uh, this maybe came in as a text field, and I can change the data type here and tell it what the format of my dates are. But nonetheless, I'm kind of preparing my data set at this point. Uh, and then last thing I'll do here is choose whether I want to query this data directly. It's like a true real-time connection. Or import that data into Spice and bring it in memory and kind of cache it in QuickSight. Uh, so if I'm going to be sending this out to thousands of users, Bring it into Spice is a great idea because uh, you know, it's built for concurrency. I don't have to bother Redshift all day long with all these kind of analytical interactive queries. So I'm going to choose to bring this data into Spice, and then I could schedule it to refresh on some kind of interval if I want to. All right, so my data is being imported into Spice. It'll tell me when it's done here as well. Uh, but I can start to go analyze this uh, even before it's completely finished. So maybe I go grab like a revenue amount, and I want to see this by state.
So it's going to give me this uh, initially in like a bar chart kind of visualization, but I can use the new geographic uh, maps here. So now I'll get a, a point per state with the sales amount being the size of that point on the state. You know, maybe we could take this actually down to a city level instead. So you can get much more granular with this. Uh, perhaps I might want to color code it by maybe my territories or my regions in this case. Right, so here's I've got all the cities where I've got customers in this data, color coding it by certain regions and sizing it by the total amount of sales. So I could see you know, bigger marks uh, like in New York and uh, in the LA area and around Seattle and San Francisco. Right? Those are some of my bigger cities. Uh, all right, so let's go add another visual here. So just going to highlight some of the newer visualization types. Uh, and then we're going to share this dashboard. We'll build some row-level security into it. And then we'll talk about auditing. Uh, the user interactivity as well. So uh, on this next one, I'm going to say, let's go look at our sales figures. I want to see that trended over time. I'm going to ask QuickSight that I want to build a combo chart out of this. So this is like mixing a bar chart and a line chart on the same set of axes. Uh, it's quite common. Like maybe you've got a, a currency or some kind of an amount here. Right? This is sales, so those numbers are quite large. But I might want to mix that with like a percentage. You know, you could write calculations here. I'm going to make something like a margin calculation. So my total profit divided by my total sales. You know, maybe this is cost per click or your percent you know, success rate or failure rate, something like that. All right, so I'm creating a new calculation. And this could be built into the data model so that every, all the users get to share the same definition of this calculation. And we're going to say that we want to put this margin calculation on the other set of axes here. Let's look at this maybe on a monthly level. Great, so I've got my sales as my bars, I've got my margin as my percentage. Uh, I might want to go add a filter for them. So maybe they want to be able to filter by the dates. And I've got about four years of data here, but I want to let them choose whether they just want to look at data from this year or the previous year or the last X number of years. Be able to apply that to all the visualizations on the whole dashboard. So now we're looking at just one year, just 2017 on this one. And that, that same filter is applied to my map, too. And then last one here, let's just build. A, uh, I want to add just more like a very detailed report, the actual order, uh, the actual in individual transactions that I have. So I'm going to grab every single order, all the products on those line items, you know, what customer ordered it, uh, what segment was it in the city, the state, et cetera, and then a whole bunch of metrics associated with, with the transactions, too. All right, so I'm just adding a whole bunch of data, and I just want to build more like a raw kind of text table here. And I've got a lot of data behind this, uh, but these actually support pagination. So I've got the first 500 records on the first page, and you can go up to the first 10,000 records on page one, and then you can kind of paginate through page two, three, et cetera. All right, so I've got some dashboard that I want to share out with you know, hundreds or thousands of users. Um, so I might have you know, added more filters to this if I wanted to, but remember, we've got that, that date filter. Uh, just going to do one more thing here, because we're going to do some the row-level security later, and it's based on the segment. So I'm going to add segment to this chart, just so we can uh, the row-level security will be a little more obvious. Uh, but nonetheless, I'm ready to share this now. So I'm going to go create a dashboard. I'm going to call this uh, our sales dash. And then as soon as I create this dashboard is when I begin to share it with others. 
So I'm going to say I want Bob to have access. I want to share it with Sue as well. Right? And when I click share here, they're going to get an email saying the dashboard has been shared with them. So something else I can do here is allow them to create their own analysis from this. So this is, uh, this is very useful if you want to kind of, you could kind of treat this dashboard almost as a template for the users. And then they could start from this, uh, this kind of canned report, if you want to think of it like that, and then create their own custom version of it later. So basically what this is doing is turning on or off this Save As button. So if I give them the ability to do this, they can save their own version, add or remove different visuals from it, uh, you know, change the visuals themselves, and they can kind of customize it themselves. All right, so we've got this dashboard, but I'm going to be sharing this with a whole bunch of users, so I want to make sure that they're only supposed to see the data that they're, uh, that they're allowed to. So I'm going to go to the data set that we just built. So this is our orders data set we just built. And then I've already imported another data set here, which is my user security data set. So for this row-level security, in this case, I just did a very simple example. This is just a CSV file that I have hosted on S3. You know, this could be a mapping table you have in Redshift or an RDS. Basically, any kind of data source you want to, you can store this uh, user mapping table. And then we're going to join that to whatever data set we want to apply that security to. So I've got rows for my individual users, and then essentially what data should they see. So maybe this is their territory, or it's just the customer name, or it's whatever values they should see in that column. So that's what I have here in this data set. So I'm going to go to the one that our dashboard is actually built on, and I'm going to choose permissions. And, um, oops. Let's do it on this one here. I'll show you on this one. I like maybe my session maybe timed out. Just give me one second. Oh, internet joys. Okay. <laughs> no internet on the, uh, on the reInvent one. Let me see, do we have? Okay, I'm going to pull an audible here and turn my hotspot on. again. All right, I think we're good. All right, we're back live. So what we're doing is we're going to go apply that permissions data set to the, uh, to the data set that we created from that Redshift instance. So here I'm going to go choose my user security data set, and I can either grant or deny permissions to that. So meaning those rows that we saw in that mapping data set, I could either use it to say that these users have access to those or the reverse, that they're not allowed to see those. So depending on your use case, uh, one might be easier to maintain than the other. I'm going to use grant access in this example. 
So it's saying that that user security data set is applied now. So now if I were to go back to that same dashboard, right, I'm logged in as the admin account. So I'm going to go see all the data there. But I'm going to go log into that same data set with Bob. And they're only going to be able to see just that one segment in the data. All right, so I'll, I'll, hopefully this internet comes back on here. Yeah, yeah. You guys all on the Wi-Fi right now? You soaking up my bandwidth? So we'll see if that comes back up. But essentially, once I applied that user security data set, I would only uh, be allowed to see just data that was, I was assigned to in that mapping data set. Uh, the last thing that we were going to do here was around the uh, audit capabilities. So when I have that dashboard, all of the audit act, or every, every action that someone is performing on that dashboard can uh, be captured through CloudTrail, and then I could go audit, say, see who has seen that dashboard, who's actually created a new data set from it, who's uh, created their own custom version of it, uh, and see that in a QuickSight dashboard, and actually uh, do some auditing and logging on that. All right, apologies. We might need to cut this part a little bit short here, uh, but we've got a couple other slides that we're going to wrap up with, uh, so I'm going to kick it back over to Greg. We just want to talk about some of the, it's like I mentioned that QuickSight's been out for you know, a little over a year. And just here's some of the customers that are already using this that have you know, um, public examples of kind of some of the benefits they've seen. So whether it's you know, Major League Baseball or um, admins.com, and here's a quote from you know, CEO Jiva Chat in terms of the benefits of adopting you know, a serverless analytics and being able to visualize their data through QuickSight. And from a pricing perspective, you know, it's a little bit different than a typical AWS service that might be by the hour, or by the minute, or by the second. And so our idea is to say, you know, by user, by month, right? And so QuickSight comes in two editions, standard and enterprise. Enterprise edition gives you the ability to connect to Active Directory, some of the private VPC connectivity components. Um, and then you either pay, like, you know, uh, uh, month by month. So for standard edition, you know, it's $12 month by month. For enterprise, $24 month by month. But then once you see if it makes sense and you kind of want to use it for a year, then essentially you can go down to as low as $9, you know, per user per month. Or for enterprise edition, $18 per user per month. And then each user I provision uh, into QuickSight, I get 10 GB of spice capacity, right? So if I have you know, 10 users that commit to a year for enterprise edition, right? it's $180 a year. Um, and then I would get you know, 100 gigabytes of spice capacity. And then if I need additional spice capacity, I can pay the, the per cent per month charge on top of that. right? And so you know, each user doesn't just get 10 gigabytes, but that 10 GB is shared 
among the 10 users, 20 users, 100 users, whatever it might be. So you can keep adding up to the spice capacity, and then if you need more, right, you can simply uh, add, you know, pay the percent charge above that. And in terms of other sessions today, so today, again, we kind of focused on how to deploy it for the enterprise. Unfortunately, the cloud trail piece at the end, we lost interconnection for, but there's a number of other sessions and skill sessions, and we have a customer appreciation cocktail hour um, tomorrow night at LaCave, and um, I think that's in the Venetian, right? LaCave, is it in here? Anyway. It's in, yes. yes. No, 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 it's in the wind. It's in, it's the, in wind. the wind, sorry, it's in the wind, sorry. Um, and then some other sessions that, you know, throughout the week, and of course the sessions will be recorded on, on YouTube, uh, 